Hello and welcome to the Built Broadcast podcast, episode seven. Uh, my name is Dave Jarman. Uh, I am a senior teaching fellow in the Centre for Innovation and Entrepreneurship and I moonlight as Bristol Futures theme lead for Innovation and Enterprise. And it's with that theme in mind that um, I've gathered some guests uh, uh, to the podcast today to talk about the role of engaged learning in educating students for innovation and enterprise. And what I'd like to do is just turn to my right uh, and, and ask my, my colleagues to introduce themselves. Hello, my name's Hannah Twardell. I'm an Engaged Learning Coordinator working across the university to support engaged learning opportunities. All right. Hello. Nice to have you all here with us today. My name is Anne Padley and I'm one of the um, teaching fellows in design thinking here at the centre. Um, I'm Dr. Keir Williams. I'm a teaching fellow design thinking here at the Centre for Innovation. Marvellous. Thanks, everyone. So in one way, I've deliberately gathered some colleagues here from the Centre for Innovation, partly because we do quite a lot of engaged learning, but in a very particular context. But also, I'm going to, t- I'm going to particularly turn to Hannah to give us a, a kind of a definition of engaged learning that works across the university as a starting point. Yeah, so um, engaged learning is where students work with external partners on a real-world project um, as part of their curriculum. So students get the opportunity to learn outside of the classroom uh, from their partners, often go to visit bits of the city that they've never seen before, and also gives partners increased capacity and opportunity to feed into the academic world. So in this sense, is there a shorthand here that, that this is... This is learning done in the classroom, but engaging third parties from outside of the university in that process. Yes, and students going out there to work with the, the partner. Ah, okay, so some of it is about them coming into the classroom, and some yeah. of it is about students going out. Yeah. Okay, so that, I think that's kind of really important just to help colleagues who might be listening to this think about the different forms that engaged learning can take. Yeah. Because we're going to give some specifics, but actually there's, there's lots of options. Yes, in loads. here as well. Okay, cool. So let, let's start with how we're using engaged learning here in the innovation programmes at the centre. So, you know, why is it used? Why is it valuable? At this point, I'm going to turn to my colleague Anne. All right, great. Um, so we gave pretty short introductions earlier, but uh, I'm here because I've been working on designing, developing, and delivering the client-led briefs units here at the center. And we've run some client-led briefs units at both the undergraduate level and the postgraduate level. At the undergraduate level, our client-led briefs units are at year two, and at the postgraduate level, they run in the, it's a one-year top masters, and they run in the second teaching block. So these client-led briefs units really are truly engaged learning projects. So we actually go out into the community and we find partners, or as we call them, clients uh, to work with who set some real-world challenges. So they may have a really uh, a pressing challenge within their business or their organization, and they kind of come to us and they say, hey, we would really like to find different ways, innovative ways that we can fix this problem. Can you set some students out on it and see what they can come up with? Yeah, and I think what's interesting, because we have a real range of backgrounds with our students, um, we also have to have a real range of clients as well. Um, so in terms of the kind of projects they, they kind of ask us to do, they might be more socially engaged. Um, we recently had a project working on uh, getting young people with autism or on the autistic spectrum into employment. And we had, you know, our students had to look at the social model of disability. They had to think around actually working with the client themselves. Could you give me another example of a, a client that you've worked with? Yeah, so uh, another example is we've been working quite a bit with uh, with DEPRA and the Environment Agency, and we've also done some work with Darren Jones, who is a local MP here in Bristol. So, for example, in that project, he really wanted to look at how his team might do a better job of uh, really... Uh, 
working with what, what, what we might call disengaged constituents, people who aren't really part of the political process and haven't necessarily heard their had their voices heard through that process. Um, so kind of as part of this, you can see we have quite a range of clients, and that's something that we really look for, is that we're giving the students who are interested in working with uh, larger organizations, we're giving them the chance to do that, but also the students who are looking at um, working with nonprofits or uh, kind of more socially driven organizations that we're giving them the opportunity to do that as well through these engaged learning projects. So having that diversity of kind of students, particularly here in the Innovation Center, but having those, that diversity of clients is really important for keeping everybody engaged. And, and also, I think something that was kind of mentioned in passing what you were saying there was that it, students are solving problems, but you're expecting them to apply models and theory that are taught. So actually, they kind of really get their hands around the kind of theoretical content of the curriculum and are trying to apply that in a really practical way. Is that fair? Yeah, and I think we're, we're quite cautious in, in having that kind of duality of, you know, this is theory, this is practice. Because I think for, for us as professionals, you know, as academics as, um, and, and our kind of wider outside interests, um, the theory that we teach is meant to be applied. Mm. Um, and the practice that we do helps them think about the theory, if that makes sense. So, you know, when things go wrong, which they do always for clients, whether you're a student or not, um, that experience is something that we can then say, well, okay, let's think about that in terms of the models as we've explored before. As much as when it goes right, we can say, okay, what worked within that model? What, what was, you know, what was successful? So just picking up at that point, you know, one thing that I'm sure kind of listeners will be curious about is, how do you how do you run a unit like this? What are, what are the, the logistics involved in that process, and, and and how do you assess work at the end of this process as well? Yeah, so I think that's a great question. One of the the challenges that we have with client led briefs and with engaged learning projects is we can't always control all of the variables, right? So we have clients who have very different interests. Um, and approach projects in very different ways. And that's really one of the challenges that we face when we're managing it. But that's also one of the huge values of these engaged learning projects is that once students get out into uh, whatever career they're going to have in the future, uh, they're, they're going to be kind of working in this rapidly changing environment. They're going to be working in, in spaces that are a bit more unpredictable, that there's not always a clear criteria for how you're going to be assessed or um, how your, your client is going to be perceiving the work that you're doing. So I think that, that our challenge is also really one of the values that, um, that these engaged learning projects have. So part of the way that we assess it is the students actually are keeping what we call design documentation throughout the process so that we can see the process that they went through for this project. And that's really important so that we can kind of, we can kind of get under the hood there and see, see the way that they worked and the way that the project unfolded. So if something did kind of go wrong, if, if the client wasn't responsive to something or um, you know, if, if there was just a major curveball thrown at the end, that we can actually see where that happened and kind of how they responded to it and how they adjusted their approach. And that's all part of the learning. And, and it strikes me just listening to that, that in, in some ways it's not about the students solving the problem. It's actually really the learning is contained in the students using a process with an external partner, with a, a third party, and, and trying to deliver that process well. Yeah. And I think <clears throat> I, I, I came in, it's been three years, two years, 
three, two years two, uh, into yeah. our third year into yep. our third year so I came in this year um, I think what was really looking at it from a slightly outside perspective I think what was really key was the work that Anne Anton to an extent did um, to to kind of create this space and this kind of space that the students can do that that they can fail it because I think the work almost comes in and that's the, before the students start to do the project. So making sure that expectations on both sides are, are kind of met or managed. Um, actually writing the brief itself. Um, and then what I found really exciting about that, the, the, kind of the, the kind of preparatory work meant that when the students were, were meeting with clients and they were kind of left to, left to do it themselves, we had kind of, I suppose, a safety net almost. Um, and a way to talk to the clients. So one of the things we have to maintain is those clients have a relationship with us as staff as much as, and the centre as much as with the individual students. So I suppose what I'm saying is that there's a lot of preparatory work that goes in before that then makes it flow nicely and feel open mm. and free for the students. But actually what's happening behind that is, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of kind of management between what the client wants, what the students want out of it, and what they're actually going to get. That That... Sounds fascinating because it's that sort of structured space in which the students can explore, make mistakes, find stuff out. Mm. But you are holding that relationship, you are that safety net, partly for the students, but also for the clients. Mm. That actually, you know, they don't want to be kind of burnt by that experience of working with students at the university. So just as maybe a kind of a final point on this uh, this area, how do you go about finding appropriate clients? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, so we have a, a variety of different ways that they come to us here at the center. So we, um, number one, have a really great staff team who are always referring us new clients and saying, hey, I just spoke with this person and they were talking about um, this this challenge that they're having around um, developing their business model or uh, around just coming up with some new idea to solve this this really big problem. And uh, they'll kind of refer those over to us and then we'll go ahead and we'll reach out to the client and meet with them, kind of see what their their challenge is. So we do a, a bit of consulting at the end. Uh, maybe I shouldn't admit that on a podcast. Um, no free consulting here. Um, but we, so we, we get them that way. We have repeat clients, which is a really great, uh, really great thing. It saves us a, a lot of time and energy as teaching staff really to continue these relationships that we've had with previous clients Um, and it's also really interesting because they bring us different facets of of their business and different challenges that they're working on so we can kind of uh, as the students are exploring them we can kind of deliver this uh, array of different ways that we can solve problems so that's a really interesting thing as well and then we've just had some cold calls really some people who must have Googled the right thing and somehow found us and just sent an email and say, hey, I have this thing I would really like some help with. Uh, can you help us? And then we reach out to them as well. And I think one of the big advantages here at the Innovation Centre, though I think it's true for the wider university, is that we, we all have a kind of practice that complements our teaching here. So um, a lot of us are part-time. Um, you know, some of us run consultancy, some of us do arts projects, some of us do massive huge engineering projects but that means that we have partners we can pull on and I actually think that's really important so you know I'm thinking about this saying in another department if it was engineering having those external partnerships that you've built professionally and then drawing them into work with your students but again that comes with a note of caution in that we you don't want to burn those relationships and the fact that I think we have repeat um, we have kind of repeat clients to me says that those relationships are being maintained because it's not, 
it's not just the innovation centre if those went wrong that would you know they wouldn't want to work with again it could be the wider university and I think you know having that in mind, again lots of pressure put too much pressure on but you do have that in mind a bit you know how do they see Bristol as a university with these clients so with that kind of wider university point in mind it, there's a sense in which at the Centre for Innovation Entrepreneurship there's a, there's a kind of a clear link between getting real world experiences real world problem solving you know, using a, a kind of an innovative design process clearly fits with what we're trying to do in the curriculum. I'm just curious as to how that might work in other disciplines in the university that may not always feel so applied. Hannah, have you got any examples of engaged learning in quite different looking places? Uh, yeah, so we have some second year uh, undergraduate students in geography um, who uh, do their research met- methods uh, unit and then um, go out and work with smaller park groups um, on uh, pollution issues, so like water and um, soil quality. Um, and their partners then use that to inform their kind of planning for the for the park areas. Um, another example uh, in um, space is uh, some students work with NGOs to uh, start to create business plans um, with those organisations. So, I mean, just take the take the geography example up. I mean. What is it that the geography department are, are hoping their students get from that kind of engaged experience? Um, so in interaction with working with someone outside of academia, so it's as, as you guys were saying, it's really important for future career progression that, uh, that they can um, uh, interact with people that aren't necessarily their peers or that they've come across before. Um, what's really interesting about the geography one is that the students get to go out to bits of the city that there's no way they'd have headed down to Hartcliffe or... Um, you know, Filton, wherever, um, and they've built up these really strong relationships with the with the individuals within the organisations. I mean, it, it strikes me that one of the kind of the benefits of engaged learning is is in some ways that that kind of civic dimension yeah. to it. That actually, with the kind of clients both at the Centre for Innovation, which you know can be well beyond Bristol and international, but actually all of it is about contextualising students in a setting and helping them feel like they're part of Bristol and they're seeing bits of Bristol that they wouldn't otherwise see, yeah. must have other kind of positive knock-on effects for the sort of student experience, yeah. student retention. And we've we've done quite a bit of feedback with um, the projects we've worked with closely, and um, the, the feedback comes back that students love it. Um, they love going out to different bits of the city. That was repeatedly said in this year's geography um, opportunity. Um, they, it's particularly good for international students, and they really value that opportunity to, to get out of the kind of student bubble. And is there is there anything in the in the public engagement space? It strikes me that for kind of a, n- a number of departments might think about those kinds of external relations, those clients as people they might be sharing research with, or kind of sharing some of what goes on in the classroom and the, the laboratory with the general public. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I love that example of geography. So I was recently at a a workshop where they kind of presented the case that they were doing as well. And I think one of the really interesting parts of that was they said that they're actually able to, through the student project, provide some some soil sampling for uh, for organizations that maybe wouldn't have been able to afford that level of testing previously. So it really brings the knowledge in a really real way from the university out into the community. And I just love the impact that they're making with that engaged learning project. And that's a fantastic thing. It's it's a real world project and they're making a real world kind of impact with it as well. Mm. I'd also be interested in, um, I suppose, rather than just a kind of client 
what's the word, a kind of client business relationship. Also the idea of co-design, mm-hmm. which is quite mm-hmm. a strong theme within the university, things like Brigstow. Um, and actually, pr- as far as I can tell, pretty much every department I've looked at has got some kind of form of co-design. I think it's really tricky with students. I'm not, I, mean, I don't know if this is a question actually. I'm not sure if we can do true co-design with our students and other people, but I know it's something we're interested within the mm-hmm. innovation centre. So there's something about that power relationship between it's not just students going to solve problems, it's about students going, becoming part of communities and yeah. understanding what that value is there as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think what, what's clear is that there's, <coughs> there, there's some clear advantages both to the curriculum and to students and to the university and the university's civic role in doing these kinds of projects. You know, students build confidence. They see the impact of their work. They see the relationship between what they do in the classroom and the wider world. That's going to help embed. That's going to help kind of build intrinsic motivation around their subject. The university is going to benefit from this. The, the kind of local citizenry are going to benefit from this. But there is this challenge that's picked up there in what Keir's saying about co-design is that, is that partly how real can it be? How parametered does it have to be in terms of managing those expectations? And if I can just kind of, kind of fire back to, to Anne and Keir, I mean, what have been the particular challenges of managing that relationship, either with the students about what they're expecting to get, how professional they might have to be, all with the clients in terms of what they think they're going to get in the time available from the manpower available? Um, yeah, that, so I think that's a really good question. Of, of course, there's always, you know, everyone, anyone listening is probably thinking, oh, this sounds really great. I'd love to do this in one of my units. I just don't have the time. And I think that that absolutely is... Is a, is a real challenge, it's very valid, um, because you're spending this extra time working with the clients, but you're also spending extra time with the students, and when you're working in this level of kind of uncertainty and unpredictability, not only is it there the time issue, but you also can't even predict how much extra time it will take. So that's a real challenge, um, and some of the ways that we work to kind of navigate that is uh, we, we do try to have repeat clients because just that relationship management is so much easier. The expectation setting is so much easier. They kind of know how it's going to work and it's, it's uh, really streamlines the process going in. Uh, we've also created kind of this, this working infrastructure where we have a client guide for all of the units and all of the teaching blocks that are shared. We have meetings among the staff so we can kind of share the... the, the I don't want to call it a burden, but share the share the weight of kind of managing these different clients. So we have, we've kind of built this toolkit that we can use internally. Um, I think some of the other challenges that we often work with are just setting these expectations. So kind of managing the scope of the brief, mm-hmm. and the way that we've kind of navigated that is we we have a brief template that we use as we go in to kind of narrow down what the challenges that the clients are setting and we don't just kind of say to the clients okay fill this out and send it back it really is kind of part of this process as Kira mentioned up front it's part of this process that we do where we're saying okay you've included this in the brief actually uh, you know that's that's outside of the scope of what we can expect a student to do within this uh, this nine-week project how can we shift that? And then we start to kind of tune it and shape it. And through that process, um, not only are we physically developing the brief, but we're developing the expectations and the relationship that we have with the client. 
And I'd say, <clears throat> I mean, specific problems we've had sometimes have been communication. So, you know, students contacting clients via text at inappropriate times of the day or, um, you know, not that it's a lot, but, you know, things like that, you have to be quite, you have to be quite on it. So you have to be aware of what's happening. So one of the things that we do as well is we teach whilst they're also doing these projects. So you talked about it briefly, but in terms of introducing models, you know, for example, we look at the agile process and how that's developing. Um, so I think part of this is making sure that you you still understand what's going on between the client and the students, even when you're you're trying to be slightly away from it, without feeling overbearing. I'm not I'm not offering a good solution to this. You just have to kind of do it. I think. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, and one of the ways that we have kind of worked through that is we do offer some drop-in sessions. So if we have a three-hour class, we will use the first hour or so to actually deliver some, some learning content, some sort of material, a new tool, method, idea. But then we'll reserve a, an hour, hour and a half, two hours to kind of have these drop-in sessions so we can meet with each and every team mm -hmm. and kind of get a sense of where they're at, if they're having any challenges, and we can kind of start to resolve those. Um, and sometimes those meetings are quite short. They can be like five minutes, ten minutes, however much time that you actually have within that session. But that does two things. It gives us an eye on, on how the projects are going, and it also gives the teams a chance to, when they're not meeting with us, to actually spend time working together mm -hmm. in class on their projects. And I guess the sense there's, there's always a, a, a scale here that in that you, you can go from quite a tightly controlled brief in that maybe all the teams are working to the same brief with the same client and it's very kind of tightly handled by the academic or you can have lots of teams working with lots of clients in quite diverse ways and it actually feels like the academics are quite kind of hands off with the process. And, and, and those are kind of all options available to people and it might be that actually you kind of start with something that's quite tightly controlled build up a level of comfort and confidence with it, both as a staff member and as a group of students, and gradually step across into something that's a little bit more freeform, trusting that the process and the relationships are going to hold the whole thing together. And I think what we try to do is over, we have a four-year course, uh, Love Client Briefs in the second year. Um, I teach in the first year as well, so I teach a unit called Being Human, and we have a unit called Design Systems Thinking. And I think what we try to do there is we... We almost kind of just give them a small taste of the live client briefs in that last year we worked with design systems work with the new library, so building a space for serendipity. They work with the architects, we have people come and talk, we set brief, um, they give presentations and then being human we work with we've worked with the Emshed Museum on doing a kind of thing based on the collections, we work with really curious. My point is that in those we choose the brief, we choose the clients, we they don't really talk to the clients, they talk to us, but it gives them a small sense of that process. And we give them that process, so we, you know, we're very much about this is how you would develop it and as a team how you'd work on it. Which I think so just thinking oh, elsewhere in the, in the curriculum, that's a, a kind of a key piece of advice, that wh whenever you think you might do a project like this, how are you setting students up for it? Because if you're just teaching for, say, 12 weeks, that might be the duration of the project. Yeah. You almost need the previous 12 weeks to kind of queue up some of the basic skill sets and expectations in readiness for that. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I think also setting yourself up. So, you know, going straight into this that I have. <laughs> teaching at other universities, I've gone straight into this and burnt myself a bit because partly because we didn't have those processes. We didn't have that kind of structuring. We didn't take it, I didn't take it maybe as cautiously as I could have done. That said, if you want to go and do it, I would, mm. you know. Well, actually, just on, on that note, I mean, without trying to make this sound too scary and too much yeah. like hard work, 
for colleagues. I mean, what, what support exists within the institution for people who wanted to try this but felt like they needed a helping hand? So uh, the Engage Learning team uh, can help out. Uh, we could have a meeting early on to talk about how it might work um, within the unit or the course. Um, we also offer a bit of training for students so that they are set up ready to go out um, and uh, work on that relationship. Um, we also offer some training for student uh, for staff, and we also have uh, like template documents, uh, so like a due diligence process that people can follow. A contract we've worked up with the secretary's office, um, a template info document about how you advertise your opportunity, um, and we also have a, a peer-to-peer support network in the engaged learning community, um, which, uh, if people are interested, is a great place to come together and find out more. Because that, I mean, I think that that community is quite critical. I mean, there are lots of people in the institution. And, and fundamentally beyond the institution in academic networks, who, are, who have either done this or yeah. are doing this yeah. or have tried an awful lot of the different formulations yeah, there's, for there's, doing this. There are, you know, there are a lot of very good examples across the university in different disciplines, and so it's a, a great way to, to learn how, how it could be applied to your own context. I mean, and I'm also guessing that a lot of those case studies might be quite rich in reasons to do this because in a sense I mean anecdotally we're all sat here going oh you know this is brilliant we can see kind of clear value in doing it and we've talked a little bit around I think I mentioned sort of civic value there is some evidence that it can help retain and focus students who might otherwise be slightly struggling Mm. to think about what their discipline means in the real world and we haven't really touched on employability per well as you know we we did a little bit in terms of some of the centre's work you know, this is real-world skills, mm. kind of queuing people up. And whilst the payoff for that, for the university, may be several years down the line, you know, actually there are clear benefits for us as academics for doing this kind of work and soaking up the extra workload attached to kind of certainly creating these things, if not maintaining them. Yeah. Yeah, so some real opportunities there. I'd also say, so, you know, one of the things we talk about is uh, entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs. So entrepreneur, an entrepreneur, you know, you maybe start your own business, but entrepreneurs, working out how you can work within other companies or startups. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say what's interesting is you also get to see, it's not that you would just be a consultant, for example, which is tends to be how we frame ourselves at client business. Mm-hmm. You can also then understand what it's like to be a client in that context. I mean, yeah, the client in that context. So... You know, it might be around how would I fit within that company as opposed to how would I work outside of that company. So it gives you that opportunity to see these kind of professional spaces you never get to, you don't often get to see within universities as a student. That that entrepreneurial context is really important because fundamentally lots of students who don't identify with wanting to be entrepreneurs, I mean the E word is Marmite in some quarters of the university, or who don't see themselves as enterprising. I mean at the heart of those things is how do you make ideas happen? And sometimes that's you and an idea from scratch in effectively a greenfield site trying to build something from nowhere. But more often than not, you'll find yourself in the context of an existing organisation or structure trying to influence people to make something happen. So that experience of working with clients, I mean, I think the other thing actually that we haven't touched on, but it's I think been implicit, is most of our examples that we talked about, the students working in groups. Mm. You know, this isn't kind of one-to-one relationships with clients for the most part these these are groups and I think that's also really important that students are, are developing professional collaboration skills working with different stakeholders in different contexts and I mean I, I know from observing the kind of client-led brief units here that sometimes the most difficult clients can be the most rewarding 
for the students to work with in terms of the learning that they, they get out of it. Is, is that kind of reasonable if, if hard as a staff member to handle? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that there is always learning and adversity, and that's definitely something that sometimes, fortunately or unfortunately, is learned through working with these, these in our case, client libraries. But in any sort of partnership that you are going to run into some of these challenges and you're going to learn how to overcome them, and especially when they're working together in a team, which is another value of kind of approaching these as team projects, that they actually are able to be there to support one another and kind of build their skills together. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something we really, again, with the master's program we, oh, and the undergraduate program, we really try to push is group dynamics. So I think that's it's it's in, totally integral to doing this kind of project is how do you get them to behave as a group to, to feel like they're supportive colleagues? Because quite a lot in universities, it's a competition. Oh, this group's doing this, this group's doing this. So we had, this year, we had four groups uh, and two clients. So... What we said from day one was share research, share your work with other groups. So within the group, there's the dynamics, but also that idea of being supportive and helping each other to develop. So they had the same brief. Both All of the groups came up with different solutions, but they all helped each other out. So there might have been an interesting interview they'd done. And they said, OK, look, actually share that with someone. Go and talk to someone about that. Because we really want to avoid this notion of it being you know, this singular competition to get ahead. It's about working together to do things um, and to solve things. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It's part of the kind of learning experience and the learning environment that we're designing in advance. And that's really embracing one of the center values of open collaboration. Mm-hmm. So, so actually, just to kind of to wrap things up, as a, as a vehicle, engaged learning can actually carry an awful lot of other things that we want to do with students. You know, there is employability within there. There are professional skills development. It is also about kind of collaboration and creativity and problem solving and using academic knowledge in an applied way as a means of getting your head around that academic knowledge and kind of digesting it appropriately. So actually, whilst I think all of us around the table kind of acknowledge there is a a, a kind of a workload of of a different type to normal attached to supporting some of these units, actually the payoff can be enormous. And that actually once you've developed the tools and the format and you've got your head around how to contain and constrain it in a manageable way, actually it's a remarkably efficient way of delivering an awful lot of value in a very simple format. Um, I'm going to, unless anyone else has anything to, to say, we're at time, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap us up and just say thank you uh, to Hannah, to Anne, to Keir for participating in, uh, in this podcast and uh, look forward to others in the series. Thank you very much. Thank you. Awesome, thanks.